But this morning, we are continuing the Christmas sermon series. Last, I just want to remind you, from time to time this year, I have reminded you of what month that we are in and how quickly this year is passing. Just in case you've forgotten, last Sunday was November. This Sunday is December. It's literally before we know it. Christmas is going to be here. And as the old saying goes, Christmas is coming. It is coming. And again, I want to urge us not to get so busy that we miss celebrating the true reason for the season. And like I said, we are continuing the Christmas sermon series this morning that Brother Blake began last Sunday. And if you'll remember, he was in Luke chapter 1 last week. And we took a look at the beginning of the Christmas story. And if you heard that sermon last week, you'll remember that that the beginning of the Christmas story didn't actually start where many times we start when we are telling the story ourselves. But this morning, we are continuing with that. We're still in Luke chapter 1. This morning, we're going to be beginning with verse 26 this morning. And as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see that there is a major announcement that is revealed. It was major In fact, there has never been another announcement quite like that in the history of the world. I want us to begin this morning by taking a look at our entire text. Again, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And if you are physically able to stand this morning, I want to invite you to stand this morning with me to honor the reading of the Word of God. God's Word tells us, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Father, right now I pray that you will open our minds. Lord, I pray that we will hear your word. Father, I pray that you will hide me behind the cross. I pray that you will just simply take me out of the way this morning. And I pray that they will see you and not me. Father, may you be glorified, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
Now, as our text begins this morning, we see that it begins with in the sixth month. And so as we read that, our minds should be saying the sixth month of what? The sixth month of what? So the answer to that, remember last week what Brother Blake preached. It was about Elizabeth and how she is pregnant. We are now, we've gone from where we were last week to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the location we're going to see of where our text occurs today is not where Elizabeth, um, where we read about her last week. Instead, today we are in a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And we're going to meet a man named Joseph and also a woman named Mary. But I want to talk about Nazareth for just a minute. Perhaps you have heard the phrase before, the question before, that says something like this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Where we're at today in our text is a place named Nazareth. And it wasn't known for many good things at all. It wasn't. In fact, it was more known for bad things than it was good. And so people would ask the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And one thing that I want to caution us against, if we are not really careful, we will find ourselves making a similar statement as well. Perhaps you know of a rough area of this town a rough area of the county, and year after year after year, you see things come out of those places that are bad. If we're not careful, we can catch ourselves saying something similar. Can anything good come from those places? Well, I want to caution us against thinking like that this morning because we do know that something really good came out of Nazareth, and his name is Jesus. We've got to be really, really careful that we don't let our uh, perceptions of a place define what reality is. Or that we don't let our perceptions trump what God maybe is trying to do, even in a place that our minds might identify with as less than desirable. So we see in verse um, 27 that the angel Gabriel came to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I want to be sure that we understand before we move on this morning how significant this process was that is defined as betrothal. It was serious. It was a ceremony that occurred in front of witnesses. And at the end of that ceremony, the couple was legally considered to be married. Except the main difference between what it was in those days and what we think of now is that at the end of this public ceremony, the bride went back home to live with her parents. She did not live with her husband, nor did she sleep with him. It was very, very serious, this process was. It could only be broken through a divorce. Very, very serious. At the, point, at the end of the betrothal process, at the end of this public ceremony, the groom had already paid the bride price to the woman's family. 
The groom also had legal responsibility over the woman, even though they were not living together. And in many cases, they would not live together for a period of around one year. And again, keep in mind that during this time, the girl lived with her parents. And I am being intentional this morning to say girl and not woman. Because another thing that is very important that we don't miss here, and this is different than our society today, but typically when a girl went through the betrothal process, she was somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. 12 and 14 years old. Just let that sink in for just a minute. And I know a lot of times we think, you know, how could that even be? Being 12 to 14 years old, I'll tell you, that's still a child. That is still a child. But society was so different then. And, you know, I'm going to tell you something. It hadn't been that long since it was that different here. If you're into, like, the history of your family, I want to encourage you, depending on your age, if you're somewhere near my age, I want to encourage you to look back two to three generations in your own family. And you will likely find that the women married during this age. My great-grandmother did. My great-grandmother married. I can't remember if she was 14 or 15, but one or the other. Now think about that. So when we think of Mary being between 12 and 14 years old until maybe two to three generations ago in our own families, Girls got married at that age. But as we proceed through our text this morning, I want you to try to look at this through the lens of, let's just say, 14-year-old Mary. So this, this angel tells Mary that she is favored. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, we're going to see as we move through our text that even though she is favored, she's troubled. Verse 29 says she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what type of greeting, what sort of greeting that this might be. So I I want to make sure as we proceed this morning to realize that Mary is probably experiencing some fear right now. Can can you imagine 12 to 14 years old, she's being visited by an angel who has told her some information up to this point, and you know the rest of the story. We're going to look at it in just a minute, but she hadn't heard anything yet as as far as to what this angel is going to reveal to her. But... She is going to hear this information, and then she's got to make a decision as to what she is going to do. Will she be afraid? Will she be terrified? Or will she follow the call that God has on her life? And, you know, if we we were opening a great New Testament this morning, and we were looking at some of these words, like, the one that specifically relates to uh, not being afraid is transmitted, uh, excuse me, um, favor. 
I'm talking about the wrong word. When he tells her that she has found favor with God, that word is translated as unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. So when we're fearful about something, how do we feel? Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm going to make a statement, and I'm sure some of you will not agree with it, and that's okay. I would love the opportunity to talk to you more about it in detail at at some later date. But over the last two years, many of you know that I am working uh, on my doctorate right now, and my concentration is in the area of biblical counseling. I'm two years into this three-year process right now, and I'll say praise God for the two years that are behind me right now. And I know a number of you have been praying for me, and I just want to say thank you. Please continue at least for the next year while I finish. But I will say I've learned a lot about emotions over the last year, specifically fear. And again, I'm going to make a statement, and I know some of you will not agree with it. Again, that's okay. I'd love to talk to you about it later and show you where I am drawing from in the Word of God. But I'm going to say, in many situations, fear is a choice. It's a choice that we make. And we're going to see here in just a moment that Mary can be fearful or she can follow the will of God for her life and and realize that nothing is impossible with God. He really can provide. So I wonder, church, when God asks us to do something, will we do it or will we be afraid? Will we be afraid to do what he actually says? Now, we're going to see here in just a few minutes exactly what Mary does. But I wonder what will we do? What will we do when God asks us to do something? Will we follow his will for our life or will we be afraid? Now the angel goes on and tells Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, many times in our society today, certain situations are described as a mic drop moment. And I'm going to tell you, I believe if Mary had been holding a microphone at that point, she would have probably dropped it. Can you imagine 12 to 14-year-old Mary, first of all, being visited by the angel and then hearing that she is going to become pregnant, not with just a normal baby. She's going to be pregnant with the Son of God. Look at what the Scripture says. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Just imagine how her mind is spinning right now. Let me give you some possibilities of maybe things that she was thinking. What will Joseph think? Imagine, what, what will Joseph think? 
Remember, he's legally responsible for her. They're legally considered married, but they're not living with each other. What would Joseph think? Will he believe me? I think it would be a logical question for her to be asking herself. What about this one? What will my mom and dad think? Here I am living in their house, and suddenly I'm going to tell them I'm pregnant. Will they believe me? What will everybody else think? The people at the market, will they believe me that I've done nothing wrong? And, you know, we know the answer to that. Most people didn't probably believe her. Because let's face it. Have you ever known anybody else that became pregnant and didn't live with their spouse or with, or, yeah, I don't want to get too graphic this morning, but I think y'all are following me this morning. You simply just do not become pregnant. Let's just say it like that. But that's exactly what happened with Mary. It's exactly what is happening with Mary. But would people believe it you know mary is having some trouble right now following all of this she says in verse 34 how will this be since i'm a virgin how will it be it's a logical question isn't it well guess what god provided the answer and we see it right in the scripture the angel the angel answers her verse 35 The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now again, can you imagine Mary getting this information? She's not having a normal baby. She is having a holy baby. The Son of God. Can you imagine the pressure that she might have felt in that moment? How can this be? Even though she had heard that, she had heard the answer, she still must make a decision. What will she do about it? What will she do about it? And again, her emotions are likely running wild. Will anybody believe me? Will anybody believe me? And parents, I just want to ask you to put yourself in the shoes of her parents for just a moment. If your daughter came to you and said, hey, I'm going to have a baby, but I have not been with any man. And by the way, the Holy Spirit's the father. I'm having a holy child. Would we believe it? Would, Would we believe it? And, you know, I don't know the answer to if Mary's parents believed it or not. But we are going to see that Mary believes it. Mary believes it. She does make a choice. The angel goes on and gives her more information. And remember, Nazareth is not near where Elizabeth is living. Mary likely did not even know that Elizabeth was pregnant. So the angel tells her, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And you know, I think that is such a beautiful verse of the Bible. The angel says Elizabeth was called barren. You know, 
for the vast majority of Elizabeth's life, that's what she was referred to as barren. But now she's in the sixth month of a pregnancy in her old age. And guess what? She's not barren anymore. And the reason that she's not barren is because God intervened. And look what the next verse says. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. I'm going to tell you that is a beautiful verse. It sounds wonderful when we say it, doesn't it? For nothing will be impossible with God. But can I tell you what's even more beautiful? It's when we live our lives as if we believe it. When we live our life as if we truly believe nothing is impossible with God. That's when revival will start in this church and in churches all over our world. If we truly do believe that God can do those things that our minds cannot even think to ask or imagine. When we truly live our lives believing that nothing will be impossible with God, I think that's when we will see a mighty move of God. Now, remember I said just a few minutes ago, Mary has got to make a decision. She has got to make a decision. Will she allow her life to be ruled by fear, or will she follow God's will for her life? Look at that very last verse. And Mary said... Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I wonder how how different would our lives look today if we said that every day to the Lord. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Lord, do to me whatever whatever you want. How different when our lives look today. You know, so often we try to figure everything out ourselves. Society has drilled that into us. You know, you've, you've got to have a plan. You've got to know exactly what you're doing and all of these crucial markers in your life. And I am not by any means saying that planning is not important because the ones of you that know me well know I am a planner I am a planner. I like to write things down. I like to set goals. But I wonder how differently would my life look? How differently would your life look when God tells us to do something instead of trying to figure it out if our response was simply, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I wonder this morning, what will it be for you? What will you do with Jesus? You know, we, throughout this Christmas season, throughout every day of our life, we have to make a decision. What will we do with Jesus? Will we honor him? Will we not honor him? Will we honor him on Sunday or will we honor him every day of the week? Not just when we're at church. I wonder this morning, what will you do with Jesus? When Jesus asks you to do something that is out of your comfort zone. When he asks you to do something that you think is even out of your realm of possibilities for anything that you can do, will we truly believe that nothing is impossible with God? Or is that just a pretty Bible verse that sounds good? Will we live our lives as if we believe that nothing 
is impossible with God. I want to encourage us. Let's live our lives like that. Let's show the world that nothing is impossible with God. Even those things that are out of our ability to do anything about. It's not out of the reach of God's grace. Nothing is impossible with God. So as we close this morning, maybe you're here this morning and and you realize, hey, I have not been living my life as if nothing is impossible with God. Maybe today you need to make the commitment from this day forward, that's exactly how I'm going to live my life. I know that nothing is impossible with God. Perhaps this morning you're here and you don't know the Lord as your Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, whether you're in the sanctuary or whether you're watching the live stream or hearing this message on the radio this morning, if you are not prepared to stand face-to-face with Jesus Christ, I'd love to introduce you to Him today. Life is so uncertain. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. Don't let a major decision like that hang over you and you you walk out of this place and not be here tomorrow. Life is so very uncertain. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. And in case you're wondering, so what's it? What's it involve to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? I'm going to quickly run you through the ABCs of Christianity. And I truly do believe it's just as simple as we talk to children in Bible school about. We've got to admit that we're a sinner. That there are things in our life that do not please God. And the result of that sin, it's made a separation between us and God. The B is we've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This baby that the angel Gabriel talked to Mary about in our text this morning, we've got to believe that story, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a life that did not contain any sin whatsoever, that he had an earthly ministry, and that he loved us so much that he gave his life for us on that cross called Calvary, on that hill called Calvary. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. We've got to believe that. And the C stands for confess. We've got to tell the Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. And a part of the confessing process literally involves turning from sin. Now, will we sin after we are a Christian? Unfortunately, yes. But we should not be happy about it. We should not be comfortable living in habitual sin. And I'll just say this, as I say so often, if we are, something's wrong. Something is wrong. We better check our spiritual pulse. So again, this morning, I want to ask you, what will you do with Jesus? Will we believe that nothing is impossible with God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you just for being able to to read about how the angel appeared to Mary and how she didn't let fear control her and that instead she followed your plan for her life. 
Brother, I'm certain it was not easy for her to do that, but I want to praise you that she did, that, that she followed God's will for her life anyway. Father, I pray that we will do that each and every day of our lives. On those days where we think we understand everything, and on those days that life appears easy, I pray that we will follow you. But on the flip side, on those days when we understand nothing, when we cannot see what your purpose or your plan is, I pray that our eyes will be fixed upon you and that we will follow you anyway, especially in those times that our minds don't understand. Father, I pray that you will strengthen us as a church. I pray that we will live in front of the world. And I pray that our lives will show the world that is watching that we truly believe that there is nothing that is impossible with God. Father, I pray this morning that if there is a decision here that needs to be made, I pray that this will be the day that burdens are laid at the foot of the cross. Father, if there is one in this place today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that this will be the day that we will leave this place rejoicing because Jesus saves. Father, I pray that you will move throughout this sanctuary, and I pray that you will be glorified in all that we do here. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.